and welcome to an episode of the Doctor Who Show's Alternate Galaxies. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And once again, the three of us have gathered because we're going to have a bit of a chat about a small little show that has uh, perhaps blown <laughs> up in a fairly big way, and that is the Star Wars universe's The Mandalorian. Guys, how are you? Very well, Dave. Very well. I uh, had an extremely hot day here in Sydney yesterday, touching 48 and a bit in places. Degrees Celsius, that is, for folks overseas. <laughs> uh, a lot cooler today, I'm pleased to say. And Richard? Well, it's actually raining down here in Melbourne, so much cooler. Um, I think the fire situation's a little better down here as well. I'm actually just back from a week down on Phillip Island. I'm nursing a bit of a sunburn, so... Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So I said this was part of our alternate galaxy suite, which is, of course, where we on the Doctor Who show indulge ourselves and talk about other shows within the genre of sci-fi, fantasy and drama that we suspect our listeners also will enjoy. And given that we've done reviews of Star Wars movies, it also seemed appropriate. However, this isn't quite the same thing, because we would normally do an alternate galaxies about a TV show that has long since wrapped up. We talk about the whole thing and what worked, what didn't. But... I suspect The Mandalorian has got quite a while to run yet. We know season two is coming. I think they could keep going for a number of years. So this is really just us having a bit of a, almost a hot take review of just the end of the first season because, let's face it, we just really wanted to to talk about it. Yeah, certainly if they stick to only eight episodes a, a series, I think they've got a lot of legs in this for sure. Oh, most definitely. So let's get stuck in. The first thing I want to talk about is what were your thoughts about this show when you heard it was announced? So Disney took over the Star Wars franchise or bought the Star Wars franchise. They shortly thereafter announced that they were launching their Disney Plus app and that one of the very first things on there would be a new Star Wars-based television show called The Mandalorian. Uh, Richard, we'll start with you. What was your initial reaction to that? I wasn't surprised that they announced Star Wars on TV because I think when they initially took over Lucasfilm, they did say, look, they were going to explore all media. Uh, I think that might also have been the same announcement where they wiped uh, 20-odd years' worth of uh, (laughs) extended universe Mm. canon. But I was really quite excited because I think probably my initial thought was, well, they might use this as an opportunity to do probably more of a character piece and present us with something, you know, that could develop over a season and and give us a character arc and a real character we could get to know. I don't know that it actually achieved that, but uh, I was certainly really excited. And Rob? I've got a lot to say here, Dave, so I'll just go for it. And it's going to sound like 2020 hindsight, but I think we got what I was expecting we'd get, or more correctly, what I was hoping for, because Dave Filoni is one of the big names behind this, and he famously made the Clone Wars animated series and also the Rebels animated series. And particularly in the early days of Clone Wars, he spent a lot of time with George Lucas. He, he basically became Lucas's acolyte. Lucas was his Yoda, you know. Um, mm. And I have no hesitation in saying this. There's no one on the face of the planet who can make Star Wars in the style of George Lucas better than Dave Filoni can because of that massive interaction he's had with Lucas. He is immersed in how Lucas thinks about Star Wars. So knowing it was Dave Filoni, along with Jon Favreau, who's another old school guy who gets genre films and TV. I mean, he made Iron Man when I'd say 99% of the planet didn't know or couldn't give a damn about Iron Man and turned him into one of the most beloved superheroes. Um, So Filoni and Favreau together... 
you know, I thought, okay, well, that's fantastic, and they're going to do a space western, which is a big chunk of what episode four was, and it's what Firefly was, which is beloved, and if they write this halfway well, it's going to work. And personally, to, to round this out, I also had a big interest in Mandalorian culture. This goes right back to the Marvel Comics days when they did Star Wars the first time around. There were issues of that comic that talked about the Mandalorian Super Commandos and stuff like this, and I used to love all that stuff. I ran a Mandalorian-themed guild in the video game Star Wars The Old Republic, and I also (laughs) adored the Mandalorian-flavoured Star Wars novels in the Republic Commando and Imperial Commando novel ranges. So I was just... It was like box ticking. Tick, 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 tick. I thought this would be great. Sorry for the long answer. (laughs) No, no, that's that's quite an in-depth response. And wow, I, I didn't even know some of that so uh that's very cool Uh, so look speaking for myself i actually was a little nonplussed by the announcement and that's because of what i expected this show was going to be i really expected this was going to be sort of 45 to 50 minute episodes it was going to be heavily heavily immersed in deep deep star wars fan wank culture i thought it would be very earnest uh, very dry, and, and you know, I was curious to see That's what they Star would Trek, do. Dave. Well, well, yeah, maybe I was thinking of that. I don't know. I, I, for some reason, that's just the way that I feel as a lot of made for, uh, you know, made for Netflix, made for Disney, made for Amazon type shows are going, which which I generally love. So, you know, I do enjoy a lot of them, but I kind of thought it was going to be something like that. I really had no interest in the Mandalorians. I was vaguely aware that Boba Fett was sort of part of that, and I've never been interested in. Boba Fett, he's the guy who sort of like led Vader to Han and Leia in episode five, and that's kind of all he did before, you know, being bumped into a Sarlacc pit and lost forever. So I, I was kind of a bit, bit confused about why there was all this sort of romance about this thing. Which, to then segue into our next talking point, which is what we actually thought of the initial show, meant that I was hugely surprised, but in the best possible way, when I tuned in for episodes one and two, and it was 25 to 30 minutes. It was fun. It was Western. It was just a really cool little sort of show. And I think, Rob, you made the point. It was almost like the old Saturday morning cartoons in sort of tone and style, those cartoons that kids could enjoy, adults could enjoy. You just tune in for 25 minutes and go, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Dave, I've actually stopped saying that, although I deeply believe it, because it started to become a bit of a um, a way to kick the show by people. There are actually people out there who don't like it, and they started kicking the show by saying mm-hmm. it was cartoonish, and I thought, oh, shit, I better stop saying it's cartoonish, because I <laughs> meant it in a completely different way. I meant that it was short, it was fun, all those things you just mentioned. You know, if I can talk about my initial reactions, I just turned to my wife after that first episode and said, yep, they've got this right, gave her a nod, she gave me a nod. <laughs> We'd already seen an extended scene because it had been played at some convention, maybe a comic con or maybe a Star Wars celebration or something like that. Yes, it was, yes. And it had been up on YouTube for a while before it got yanked off most of the channels it was on. And we'd love the look of that. It was the scene, uh, listeners, where the Mandalorian has the standoff with the stormtroopers and he's negotiating with that old Nazi war criminal. I mean, Werner Herzog. And (laughs) And that scene alone suggested this was a grounded, serious look at what life was like like out on the rim after Return of the Jedi, you know, small-time warlords, stormtroopers in dirty armour, the kind of stuff I was eating up in Star Wars novels maybe 20, 25 years ago. Richard? Wow. I probably came into it expecting something a little different. 
uh, as I said at the start, I was expecting it was probably going to be a bit maybe like you, Dave. It was going to be something very dry, very character-driven. I mean, look, Star Wars is not something that you would ever say has really deep character arcs. So I actually was expecting half. And I'll preface that by saying I hadn't seen a lot of the pre-stuff. So um, I hadn't seen the extended clip Rob was talking about. So I actually, at the end of episode one, was sort of, is that it? I was entertained by it, but it probably took me an episode or two to get into it. Um, But once I did, I loved it. Yeah, Richard, I agree in part with what you're saying there. I certainly enjoyed the first couple. It wasn't until episode three that I really thought, actually, this is a really cool, really good show. Mm. What did really impress me in those first episodes, though, was actually the character of the Mandalorian. Uh, I think it was the scene on board his spaceship where he uh, freezes the, the uh, his catch in Carbonite that I thought, okay, this is actually quite cool. But I love the way that they made the character extremely professional, extremely good at his job, and, and, and strong enough that he could be a dynamic action character that the series could hinge off. But they made it very clear right from the start he was also vulnerable and he was also fallible. You know, he could lose a fight. He was in danger. And I think that's a balance that they got really, really right. Um, Because it is very hard to have a character that is too powerful. Very much so. I sort of got the impression from maybe the first episode it was going to be, you know, very Clint Eastwood man with no name type stuff where he really is just this cold, implacable, flawless sort of character. But, yeah, you're right. I did think, considering, let's face it, it is a bloke in a mask, um, which is very, very difficult to emote when you're hidden behind a helmet. (laughs) Yes. I, I thought they did a really good job, actually, of making him a character. So before we go any further into our conversation, we're not going to be deliberately dropping huge spoilers, but we want to be able to talk freely about the show. So if you haven't seen season one of The Mandalorian to the end, uh, I will warn you now that from now on we are going to be just casually dropping references to other parts of the series and, and, and things that may happen. So this is your spoiler warning. If you don't want to be spoiled for anything this season, get out now and hopefully come back when you have. <laughs> so, Rob, let's go back to you. Mm. What is it about this series that you're you're enjoying so much that you were very keen to have this conversation? Dave, I like the era that this is set in. Not only is it an interesting time for the galaxy, it's also the time frame I thought most about when I was a kid. Basically, what happened after Return of the Jedi? You know, I thought about this for years after mm. 1983. And this was satisfied to some degree in the extended universe novels, like I mentioned earlier. But since Disney blew them out of existence as a whole, which is something Richard mentioned earlier, I have trouble taking real pleasure in them anymore because, you know, you pick them up and you start reading, you think, oh, this this isn't real anymore. I know that's a funny way to put it because it was never real in the first place, but it's just, it's just odd to read something that's definitively not canon. But this era is interesting and this is absolutely canon so this is something i can believe in based on an era i'm generally interested in that's why i'm into it one of the things that really stood out for me and and richard i know that we've shared this with a couple of our mutual friends is that it really did mine the best of the sci-fi fantasy tropes and i remember there are a couple of episodes where on our sort of group chat someone would come in and say well that was the best episode of stargate that i've ever seen and then there'll be another one where I'll come in and go, well, that was a very cool episode of Firefly. And then there's another where you go, gee, that was a, that was a bit Blake Seventy, wasn't it? And this sort of thing that every episode, they they kind of mine the best of tropes and sci-fi. So you get the really cool episode in the desert. You get the one where they meet some 
a, a colony on a distant forest planet. You, know, you get the one that's a real just hardcore Western bounty hunter thing. You get the cool one with the the uh, you know the, the different aliens in a spaceship in a, in in space. You know, prison in space sort of thing. Did did that familiarity help you guys, or did you think well, did you think it was a good or a bad thing, or or what? Richard, you can go first. I got certainly out of the early episodes. I got a real Firefly vibe out of it and i know yeah. we mentioned that earlier on and i i really i love firefly when it was uh, when, when it was a thing yes but, uh, <laughs> um look they do a lot of tropes and look there's a lot of western tropes and stuff in there as well we mentioned clint eastwood's man with no name there's any number of those it's a um sort of a corner of the universe as rob said it's dirty it's clearly you know things are running down it's fairly lawless out there that sort of stuff so i mean that's a broad setting that you can apply anywhere not not just sf i'm surprised actually no one's mentioned baby yoda yet but uh it's the elephant <laughs> in the room <laughs> well interestingly enough i was gonna say it, it's really permeated culture baby yoda because i drive past on my way to work there is a massive graffiti mural down there that is this enormous picture of baby yoda um and it <laughs> wow. went up Probably, I reckon, only a couple of weeks after the series started. So, Well, so that, that, that segues into sort of where I wanted to take the conversation next. But first of all, Rob, your comments on the various sort of tropes and the strip mining of, of sci-fi for this show. Did you, do you agree with what we were saying? Oh, I've, I've got no problem with it at all. You know, because Star Wars has always been this big, it's space opera, you know, it's, it's never been subtle. So, you know, yeah. to, get, to go in and grab some tropes and do those, it's like... Yeah, this is what Star Wars is. I've no drama with that at all. Yeah, no. Likewise, I think it's actually quite a positive, and they they did each one just enough to be able to go, "Hey, I know what they're doing here. Cool. This is this is fun without it out saying it's welcome." But mm. then they had their own twists and their own spins on it as well. So, Richard, you raised the the thing about the child or baby Yoda as the world has come to know it, and I have to agree. One of the things that's really interesting about this show is how it really has seeped, as you say, into the pop culture. One of the things that I found really interesting is that Disney chose to drop this, the first two episodes in, in one drop and then the rest one a week. And what this meant was, this has really become, in my circle of friends, not just fan friends, but in the office, in other, in other places, this has really become genuine water cooler conversation. In my office, and, and you know, this is the first time a TV show's done this since um, Game of Thrones, which I didn't watch, but everybody else watched, you know, if you didn't go and watch The Mandalorian over the weekend, then you couldn't take part in the office conversation on Monday because the first thing as you came in was, hey, did you see this, 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 and this? And the first mm. permutation, of course, of that was, hey, what did you think of Baby Yoda? And everyone was like, did you see Baby Yoda? Like, I haven't seen it yet. Quick, you've got to go see it. You've got to go see Baby Yoda. I think that that's a really smart call on Disney's part to do it that way. And have you guys noticed the same thing? Oh, without doubt. The cynical part of me suggests that it's because they just want to keep people on their uh, subscription to Disney Plus longer. Otherwise, people will probably watch it all in one day and then unsub. But um, <laughs> it, it, it does, yes, absolutely agree, though. It does have that effect of water cooler conversation. And, you know, I've had people even say to me in the last week or two, oh, so, you know, Netflix should be doing this. And I say, well, look, some Netflix shows do drop once a week. Uh, you know, I think of Riverdale, for example. That drops once a week when it's dropping. But Netflix couldn't drop everything once 
once a week. Otherwise, all the shows would just run into one another. I think the Netflix model really is they want you to binge through shows pretty quickly because they've got another dozen shows coming in the next two or three months that you're going to watch as well. So, yes, it's great. Yes, it's wonderful to have that conversation, but I don't think it's something we should do for every show, perhaps? No, look, I mean, every show has to make its own decisions. I, I do think that there are Netflix shows that would have benefited from being dropped once a week because part of the enjoyment of a show and part of the thing that keeps you in a show, in my view, is that sharing it with your friends. And I can remember shows... I mean, look, Rob, when we were both watching the last series of 13 Reasons Why, there would mm. be sort of these awkward moments of, have you seen episode 10 yet? Oh, no, I'm only on episode 8. Oh, well, I really want to talk to you about episode 10, so when you've seen that one, come to me and we'll... And, you know, and sort of you know having yeah. to stagger your conversations and who's seen what and all... Somebody, oh, you'd really like this. Oh, I'm busy. I haven't seen it yet. Whereas mm. The Mandalorian, I think, has really... It's, it's just become, with, with so many circles of friends, have you seen this week's Mandalorian yet? No, I'm going home to watch The Mandalorian. Like, how long has it been since we've sort of had that, I need to go home and watch this tonight? It's almost like the old days of free to air. I agree. Richard? Yes, I'm actually back at work tomorrow, so uh, I'll be interested to see where everybody's at with it. We got up to about episode five, I think, before I went on leave. Uh, for the Christmas break. So, uh, and there were certainly many discussions at work uh, after that point. So I'll be very interested tomorrow to see who's actually watched the rest of it. <laughs> so, look, Baby Yoda, the child, however you want to call it, has definitely been the breakout star of the show, uh, certainly <laughs> in pop culture. Um, and, and Rob, I know you've got some points about merchandising that we'll, we'll, we'll get to before we end the discussion. Sure. I've got to admit, though, I. I kind of came and went and then came back on the, the Baby Yoda thing. When I first saw it, I thought, okay, that's a really cool idea. That's kind of cute. I, I get why everybody's watching this. Yep, that's good. And I was sort of a little bit of the view, well, look, I hope this thing doesn't stick around. And I was also kind of hoping, particularly at the end of the episode where he's found the Baby Yoda, he's giving him back, going to give him back to the bounty hunter or, or, the, or the paymaster, and I thought... I hope this guy doesn't give in and suddenly decide he cares more for the kid than he does for his livelihood. And, you know, that would be such a cliche and would really undermine the character. And, and so when that did happen, although it was drawn out quite well and, you know, he did give the kid back and, and then he had his moment of regret and he had to go back and get it and it was very cool, I was a little bit at that moment sort of like, okay, so this is what we're doing. He cares more about the child for no apparent reason, yada, yada, yada. And... For the next few episodes, I was kind of like, oh, Baby Yoda's back. I'm sick of Baby Yoda. <laughs> I do think that they brought it back somewhat for me because they did have that background of, you know, his personal background as a foundling. And that kind of, you know, made it work a bit better. As we got to understand Mando a bit more and, you know, really understand that he was a, a, a genuine person, not just a, this, this faceless person, that sort of resonated more with me. Look, I've, I've kind of sort of wandered in and out of a sentence there. Uh, somebody pick up from there and tell me if you think I'm right, wrong, disagree, whatever. You heartless bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I thought, look, Baby Yoda was cute. My wife, who never really watches any of this stuff, actually saw him and did much the same thing. Went, oh, he's so cute. And actually sat down and watched a lot of the rest of it with me. So um, that was a big win. 
But, yeah, look, I, I must admit, you could sort of see that part of the storyline coming, though, that, you know, he feels bad about handing Baby Yoda over to the, you know, to the evil Nazi war criminal. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to use Rob's phrase from earlier. And then he goes away and he has the, the you know, sort of the epiphany moment where he's like, nah, okay. Um, and it does lead to a, a really cool sequence where he goes in to rescue the child. Yes. Yeah. Which, I must admit, for me, culminated in the scene where he flamethrowers the stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> But I suppose the other thing with Baby Yoda, I mean, there's a... Have either of you guys ever read a thing called uh, Lone Wolf and Cub? I'm aware of it, but I haven't. Same. I, there's a, yeah, there's a real vibe of that probably, in, I think, where the series will go from here. I mean, it, it's going to become, obviously, you know, a quest to, to return the child or Baby Yoda home, which... And, and because... Baby Yoda's supposed to be, what, 50 and he's still only a toddler? That yes. leaves endless years of stories that they can come up with. <laughs> it does, although perhaps I'll, we'll just mention here as a standalone one of the weaknesses of the show, and that is that this is set in the middle of the Star Wars movie sagas. Uh, this is obviously set between part six and part seven. So you do have this thing of, well, however cool Baby Yoda is going to grow up to be, Given we don't see him in The Force Awakens, etc., something has to be, you know, like given, mm. you, know, you know, assuming he lives till he's 900, either he's still a baby at the time of The Force Awakens and can't do anything, or dot, 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 he's not around for whatever reason by The Force Awakens because, you know, he would have been incredibly useful at that point. Um, <laughs> so I think that is one thing that this this series can do well. I think, I think... I agree with you, Rob. It was the right point to set a series. It's a very good point to set a series. But, of course, we do have... Kind of like the end of Rogue One, whereas you're getting towards the end of Rogue One, you go, these characters aren't around in Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back. They're not making it out of here, are they? Um, you kind of know that... Yeah, they're all going to have to die in the next 15 minutes, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm not saying that our characters here have to die by the time of Force Awakens, but there is this sort of sense of, well... We know these people aren't going to be, you know, universe changing, uh, including Baby Yoda. He's not going to grow up to be, the, you know, the the new great hope of the the Jedi. So that's at the back of my mind. But I, I mean, that's that's a fan criticism. Yeah, look, it, it's hard, isn't it, when things are made in isolation and those movies were being made before they started scripting The Mandalorian and, you know, stuff like that. So it just can't sync up. They might come out with some wonderful comic books or novels that have Baby Yoda off doing other things during that era. Who knows? He's not necessarily out of the game. He just didn't play a part in the, the exact conflict we saw in those films. Although, I must admit, I've just listened to the latest um, Kevin Smith's um, Fat Man Beyond podcast where this was brought up, and they did speculate that given the age length by Force Awakens, he would be Teenage Yoda and just kind of, you know, in his bedroom with the door shut, not wanting to talk to anybody and being grumpy. So that's the explanation. <laughs> that, that actually was not, not quite in that way, but that actually was the point I was about to make. But uh... <laughs> Lovely. Now, before we get off, Baby Yoda, you mentioned merchandise, so I'll just throw in a few thoughts. And that's, I think the success of Baby Yoda, such as Richard has seen in that mural and such as we've all seen in pop culture, has caught Disney by surprise to some degree. Uh, and the reason for saying that is a lot of the merchandise, Baby Yoda merchandise, isn't out until the middle of this year. 
Now, when you consider the whole series dropped last year, to not have merchandise till the middle of next year, that suggests they've had to tool up factories, get this stuff prototype designed, and they're going to start making it. You know, because I've had friends say, oh yeah, they just didn't want to spoil the surprise. They just didn't want to have it in shops before the show went out. And I say, yeah, well, that's fine. But they could have been you know, better prepared and had it come out a month after the show dropped, not seven or eight months after the show dropped. I think there might be a few simple Baby Yoda things you can get now, but certainly the bigger stuff, the talking plush and all that sort of thing, it's middle of this year, guys. It's six months away from now. You know, tell me that's not Disney caught with their pants down. And that's not to mention the unofficial stuff that's making its way out there. Yes. Because where I've been staying for the last week or so was uh, Phillip Island, which is quite a popular tourist destination at this time of year. Um, And they have a lot of markets. And uh, I saw at least two T-shirt stalls (laughs) (laughs) selling selling Baby Yoda T-shirts. So uh, there's a lot of unofficial stuff out there, I'd say. Uh, yeah, look, I agree with what you were saying, both of you, and certainly I struggle to assume that this was a very cynical marketing exercise, given that, as you say, sure, they didn't want to spoil the surprise, but why would you not have Baby Yoda merchandise ready to drop 10 days before Christmas? Huge opportunity missed. So we'll keep going, and we just want to take a couple of sort of random points from each of us, or however many you have, on things that you like about the series. I'll kick off with sort of the big one for me, and Rob, you mentioned this in passing earlier, and Mm. that is the way that this show uses the Star Wars world and the Star Wars universe so, so well. One of the things that I've always, not knocked, but always sort of raised as a, a point against a lot of the Star Wars films is that there's never this sense of really understanding why the Empire is bad and what life is like in the Star Wars world and, and, and what life is like under the Empire. It's sort of just the big bad thing that blows up planets over there and, they, you know, they're the bad guys because we're the good guys. Um, ironically, it's it's Rogue One and indeed even more probably Solo, which are the films that most explore that. And one of the reasons why Richard and I mentioned we really liked Solo. But this film really does take that sense of Berlin in 1946 it's mm. it's what happens when an empire that big and that powerful suddenly falls. You know, the Emperor gets killed at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi and the Empire doesn't just switch off automatically. And where do all these people who were genuine, you know, bought into and supporters of the regime, where do they go? Where do all the moths go? Where do all the Grand Admirals go? Argentina. And, well, yeah, so yeah, they, <laughs> they go to space Argentina and... <laughs> And as you say, sort of seeing, yep, there would have been some stormtroopers who would have been, right, I've never liked this anyway, I'm going back home to my farm, um, or, well, you know, this is time for me to pursue my desire to, you know, go and be an actor or something. You know, I've always I've always wanted to be a sculptor, and now here's my chance. But then there would be others who are like, well, sorry, my life is, you know, supporting this regime, and I thought Darth Vader was cool, and the Emperor, you know, the Empire was a force for law and order in the galaxy, and now it's been taken over by a bunch of mutinous revolutionaries, and... I need to earn some money, so um, this guy's going to pay me. Um, I'm going to go with that guy. Like, I, I love all of that sort of feeling around the world. Uh, what are the other points that you guys had? Richard, I'll take one from you. Um, my next point is actually probably more a question, which is we haven't mentioned any of the supporting cast yet. Uh, I guess a quick discussion may have been how we felt about them. Was there a feeling at the end of the season for you guys that we'd actually got the gang together and this was the core cast that were going to take us into the next season um, before they wrote them all out? So when you asked that question, Richard, what do we think of the supporting cast, my initial reaction was, what supporting cast? You know, this this really did feel like a one-man show or at least one man and, and, and a puppet. 
And you're, you're right, by the end of it, I did sort of start to have that, mm, maybe they are getting a bit of a Scooby game together and, okay, you know, th- this is kind of interesting. I think that they all are very, very much second fiddle to Mando, to The Mandalorian, and they're very good. There's some great cast in this, and, and the ability to obviously just be able to do a couple of weeks filming and then go back to another project has meant they've been able to recruit some really good cast members and some really good one-off guests. Um, and, and it's really obvious in some occasions where clearly that guy's available for one day on one set, so they're just going to make huge use of him and that's it. <laughs> and, and that's great. But but, but, but I, I still don't yet think of this as being a... An ensemble piece. An ensemble piece. No, no. Rob, what about you? Uh, look, agree on all of that, but I do think it will open up a bit more in the next series grief Carga might be along for the ride although it did seem like he might still be running the bounty hunter guild as well because he was saying you know that the mandalorian was welcome back and you know he could have all the best jobs and stuff so you know maybe carl weathers will drop back to being a you know every episode or two kind of character plus we've also now got our big bad probably for um for the next season oh well look absolutely and are we going to talk about that Darksaber moment? Yeah. The Darksaber. That's the symbol of leading the Mandalorians. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, and this evil ex-Imperial uh, dude has the Darksaber. I mean, the Darksaber was built by a, a Mandalorian Jedi thousands of years ago or whatever it was. It's a it's a symbol of, you know, leading the Mandalorians. Oh, there you go. So that actually brings me to a negative point that I had, and that is how completely flat that whole thing fell for me. And... In a series that has been very careful to be extremely accessible to fans of all sorts of persuasions and including the casual viewer. And look, I like Star Wars. I've watched the movies many times. I've read some of the extended universe novels, particularly the the, uh, Timothy Zahn stuff. But I'm not deep, deep, deep into it like some fans are. As a result, when that scene occurred and um, Moff Gideon was cutting himself out of the TIE fighter, I just looked at the effect and I just thought it's some sort of laser cutter or insulated saw or something like that. <laughs> I didn't think it was a lightsaber until he's kind of held it up at the end in that particular pose. And even then I was going, is, is that a lightsaber? The effect looks really cheap. What, what's what's going on there? And then suddenly on my YouTube feed, all these videos started popping up, you know, what is the Darksaber, the, the history of the Darksaber? And I watched a couple <laughs> and I've sort of gone wow, there's a lot of history in this thing and this is a big deal. I had no mm. idea what it was. And and for a show that, as I said, had really tried hard to be so accessible, to have its big season cliffhanger moment be a, what, why are we so excited about like just some sort of cutting tool? Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was a bit of a misstep. Likewise, when I watched the episode, I was just sort of, okay, look, he's still alive and isn't that an interesting weapon that he's got? And then again, I started seeing the stuff about, oh my God, he's got a dark saber. Uh, and it was sort of like, well, okay, that adds an extra level to it, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but, but I wonder where that's going to go. But yeah, look, I actually thought he was really good. I'm I'm a big Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fan. So seeing uh, Giancarlo Esposito uh, was, was a big plus for me. He, he is actually getting a lot of work at the moment. But uh, Yes, he is. I've seen him in something else recently as well. He's, he's yeah. really... Um, and and, and well-deserved. He was a fantastic actor. So, look, we seem to be transitioning from stuff we like into uh, not things we didn't like, but potential negatives or things we would improve. Uh, For me, it really is that very last deep dive into fan lore, which kind of left made me feel a little bit isolated. Rob, what about you? Because you're a 
you know, much more de- well versed in the law than, than we are. What were your negatives or things you'd change or points to raise? Dave, this will sound so sucky. It will also sound so unreal because I'm I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I should probably hate everything, right? But <laughs> <laughs> I I really struggled to think of stuff. I mean, length, sure, we'd all love a 22-episode series, but would it be of the same quality if they did that? You know, I think they spent a bomb on the episodes. I'm not sure they could actually make a 22-episode series at the same sort of level of funding that they had. Yeah. No, that would cost a fortune. It would, yeah, longer would have to have been cheaper, and that's not good. Yeah, so to start making double or triple the episodes, I think the quality of the writing would drop and, and the, the money just wouldn't be there. Outside of that, I think the premise, the scripts, the casting, the music, the direction, the the overall vibe, it's all very, very good stuff. I just hope they can maintain the quality in the second series because there's a lot of eyeballs on this now. Richard, what about you? Much as Rob said, I'm struggling to come up with something like a big negative for it. A lot of it was probably my own preconceived notions going in. I, I said earlier that, you know, I watched the first episode and was sort of, what well, is that it? But it definitely grew on me across the next thing. But no, I think this is, I think this is a great series. And you're right, I think next season, it will be very interesting to see whether they can keep uh, the momentum going. Fair enough. So we'll move into a couple of specific questions to round out our discussion. And we're going to start off with who is your favourite character so far? Rob, we'll start with you. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're really limited for choice in many ways. Uh, I mentioned earlier I love Mandalorian culture, so I do love the Mandalorian character. But, you know, Carl Weathers as Grief Karga, Gina Carano as Cara Dune, the child, of course, you can't keep your eyes off him when he's on screen. They're all great, but I, I've got to say the Mandalorian. Richard, what about you? Well, given we said uh, earlier that there wasn't really a supporting cast, <laughs> it's very hard to go past uh, The Mandalorian. I will say, though, it was great to see the uh, IG robot yeah. in action because that's something... I mean, we remember seeing IG-88 in Empire Strikes Back and that's something you definitely couldn't have done back then. So, actually, being able to see the droid have a full range of motion and actually really kick ass was, was great. But uh, you're right, it's, it's very hard to go past either Mandalorian or Baby Yoda, so... <laughs> well, I was going to have as my runner-up IG-11, um, because so well done, as you said, visually so clever, but, but so witty, and voiced by Taika Waititi, who just yeah. everything he touches now uh, absolutely turns to gold. And, of course, he directed the last episode, and it just felt like, you know... A piece of television that had a big, at the well, potentially the peak of his career, although I'm sure he's got a long way to go, Tyker, but having a really good sound movie director who's done a Marvel movie, like he did Thor 3, and now he's just been told, can you just direct 30 minutes of television for us? And mm-hmm. he directs it as a Marvel movie, like as a big movie. Yeah. And, and that is such a big thing about what makes the, the series work. Um, but I'm actually going to mention um, Kulil, the moisture farmer who's in three or four episodes. And I just thought was such a great character. We instantly got who this person was, given that he is a CGI, maybe CGI and puppet, I'm not sure, but certainly not a man in a rubber suit or let alone just an actor. Uh, for the voice to come through, that's Nick Nolte. Um, I just thought it was such a wonderful creation, such a wonderful character, and um, I, I actually really cared about what happened to him in the end. Yeah, pretty brutal, hey? <laughs> yeah, but, 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 you know, Star Wars is at its best where it's not nasty, but, but where there are consequences. Mm, agree. Uh, our favourite episode so far, Richard, we'll start with you this time. 
I'm tempted to go episode eight because you're right. I think it was a great end of the season. I'm actually going to go though with episode six, which is the one on the prison Hulk. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think it had quite a few twists and turns in it. It actually gave some quite interesting characters a sort of supporting cast and uh, a sort of a bit more of an insight perhaps into Mando's past. But uh, I think that one, as I said, it had a few twists and turns and I was sort of uh, genuinely guessing there a couple of times where it was going to go. So, yeah, that, that'd be my pick. Yeah, that was a very good one. I'm going to pick episode five, The Gunslinger, which is the real Firefly Western episode out there. I liked the interactions between Mando and the target, who was very, very good and obviously a really strong villain. Or not, I mean, that's the wrong word, but, but antagonist for, for Mando to have to play against. I loved his relationship mentoring the young wannabe bounty hunter and then the way that you, that character kind of just turns and does something you don't expect and then it's between Mando and The Apprentice. I just thought it was really good. It visually was spectacular with all that filming in the desert. So, look, I could easily have picked six. Four I really liked as well, the forest one. Um, but five for me. Rob, what about you? Yeah, look, I I found it hard to split three, so if I can go in backwards order, number three would be The Prisoner. That's the one you're talking about, Richard, where he's on the ship and he's put in a trap and he gets out and defeats them all. Fantastic. Yep. Number two would be the finale, episode eight. But my number one, and it's different to both of yours, is The Sin. And that's where the the Mandalorian goes back to to get the child, putting his whole career at risk. Uh, he goes full Terminator in the Imperial hideout, <laughs> and, and and then when at the end, when you think all hope is lost, and he's surrounded, all the Mandalorians come to save him, and we've never seen them fight on that scale before. And literally, my heart went up into my throat. I teared up. It was beautiful because, again, I've, I've ran a Mandalorian guild in a video game. I've read about these guys for so long. And finally, I'm seeing them en masse, jetpacks, lasers. It was spoiled slightly for me by the Pratt who flies up to the ship and then salutes the Mando at the end. I thought, oh, God, that was a bit cheesy. But even then, <laughs> even then, the salute was to say, okay, You've broke the code. You've just made life impossible for us in this little village. You've really stuffed up, but we're here for you. You're our people. Good luck. And I thought, that's so Mandalorian. Oh, my God. You know, just amazing. Fair enough. So, look, some good episodes there. I mean, let's mention as well, Bryce Dallas Howard directed an episode of this series. And, of course, John Favreau wrote most of them. Mm. Uh the last two talking points we had we can probably take together, and that is where next for the show and where next for Star Wars. What does this all mean for Star Wars? I think the obvious answer to the second one is The Mandalorian having been such a success, Disney's going to pump out a lot more of these. And, Rob, you were saying before you would have liked to have, you know, 16, 22, 26 episodes of The Mandalorian across the course of the year. Whilst I don't think we'll get that, I think we could, by the time 2021 comes around, find that... 20 or 30 weeks of the year, we may not have an episode of The Mandalorian, but there will be an episode of some Star Wars show for us to watch. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll be looking at Cassian Andor, which which currently doesn't have a lot of buzz about it. People say, oh, that, that guy from Rogue One, what are we going to do there? I think, what are you kidding? This is going to be James Bond in space. This is going to be amazing. And not just any James Bond. I think it'll be like the Stone Cold Killer James Bond. You know, when you think of what Cassian Andor is doing at the start of Rogue One, where he meets yeah. that informant, then just has to blast mm -hmm. him because he might get captured. I mean, God, that's what that show is going to be like. It'll be fine. Ewan McGregor is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Tell me that won't be a good series. I mean, yeah. 
these are just no-brainer things. And the the TV is the future for Star Wars. George Lucas knew that a long time ago when he started scripting. He's got like 50 episodes on the shelf, or Disney would have those now. Um, he asked Russell T. Davies to, to write one of them. You know, George could see this coming. It's, it's the future. There'll still be Star Wars movies, of course, but TV is where you tell the real stories these days. Richard? Doesn't leave a lot for me to. I was going to say, doesn't really leave a lot for me to say. Yes, definitely. I think there will be more uh, Star Wars TV series, and we did flag that during the the episode nine discussion. Uh, that I think it'll be a little while before we see Star Wars back on the big screen again. Um, so TV is definitely the medium to go forward. In terms of where it goes with the series, uh, I mentioned earlier that I got a, a sort of a lone wolf and cub vibe out of it which is a um i suppose you'd call it a manga or a, a comic series uh with a lone warrior out to avenge past wrongs to, mm. to keep it brief uh, and he has his young uh, at the start of the series basically infant son with him uh and and as the story progresses that the, the son grows up and becomes a warrior as well so look it's it's set up very much for that there is so much scope i think you could do with this over the next few years uh, in terms of you know adventures to get into, stuff to unlock. There's a, still a, a lot more we don't know about Mando. Um, we still have to find out a heap more, obviously, about the child. There's scope for a huge supporting cast to develop over the next few years. Uh, I, I think the future for this is really rosy, as long as they don't screw it up. Yeah, what I'm certainly hoping for, and I suspect this is the way they'll go, but we'll see, is that it won't be now sort of every episode is part of the one big arc and the same villains in the whole time. And it's, it's all about Mando versus Moff Gideon and his team of the, his Scooby gang and all that sort of thing. What I suspect we'll get, and, and certainly what I hope for, is there will still be a lot of standalone episodes, just the random Mando arrives on this planet or on this world or on this space station and fun ensues and then 25 minutes later he goes off punctuated by every so often a reminder, yep, you are in this world and this is the ongoing story. Kind of like when we had the uh, the Sanctuary episode on the Forest Planet, and that's a fun little episode. You've got the village, you've got the ATST trap and all of that, but just at the end, you have the assassin come in to try and take out the child, and you go, that's right, this is all part of an ongoing story. He's living a life that continues outside of this episode, and it holds it all together, because whilst I like what they're building, I don't want to lose that just fun different planet every week sort of vibe yeah i mean this is the thing he's got to go and look for these space wizards who are the traditional enemies of his people they're not going to be easy to find so as he stumbles around the universe looking for them he's going to have all those random adventures all over the place and of course once he realizes moff gideon has the dark saber he's going to go ape and want to go after that as well so there's like two sort of plot threads there that's going to take him around the universe and you know i'll just say this one thing guys a dark saber can slice through beskar so expect a hell of a battle when they finally get together wow okay well there you go um final question and this one without notice john favreau made it pretty clear before the series started that in season one there would be no classic characters so don't hang out and wait for Boba Fett or Obi-Wan or anything like that to pop up. He clearly hasn't said that about season two. Do you expect slash do you want classic characters to start to pop up in this show or do you like it just being its own little corner of the universe? I, I don't necessarily think it needs them, to be honest. I mean, it got through series one just fine. If you think about where this series is set at the end of Return of the Jedi, I mean, look, our heroes... Uh, have obviously won and they're off doing hero things 
setting up the new republic, etc. So I wouldn't really see an avenue for them unless it was something really tangential. And I kind of hope they don't go down the path of trying to show us other characters before we meet them maybe in the next round of movies because I just think that'd be a bit trite. I'm probably the same as you, Richard. Rob, what about you? Yeah, look, again, I don't think it needs other characters brought in, but I will say I don't think they'll be able to resist bringing in Boba Fett even just for one episode, and it will break the internet if it happens. And that's yeah. why they'll do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be really disappointed if they bring Boba Fett back from the dead just for a fan wake moment, but I kind of agree. I think it's just probably going to have to happen. Richard, yeah, I cut you but- off, sorry. I was just going to say, does this series, though, allow them to sort of have the Boba Fett cake and eat it too? You can actually do a cool Mandalorian character um, <laughs> that hopefully people will get behind. He doesn't have the crappy death scene. Uh, although, if you've watched Robot Chicken, you know that he actually volunteered to go into the Sarlacc pit <laughs> and took out a <laughs> heap of dudes on his way in. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, actually, a question. Have Disney or anybody said if Boba Fett is definitively alive now? Not in this new canon, but in, in the old canon, certainly he was. Mm. It, it was absolutely no big deal to fans that he survived the Sarlacc pit. He went on to do loads and loads of stuff. So for those people uh, who are the fans watching this show, they'd be quite happy to see him back. It wouldn't be, you know, incongruous at all. No, that's the thing. I knew he was alive in the uh, sort of old canon, uh, but no, no one said anything definitive, obviously, this time around. Yeah, I, I think they just won't be able to resist. You know, Mando will go to a planet where there's a mysterious warrior doing stuff who he has to find, and he finds him, and it's Boba Fett. You know, and, and again, the internet will break. It will be insane. They can't resist it. I'm sure of it. Maybe not next series, maybe the series after, but they'll do it. Come on. Yeah, as I say, I hadn't really followed that part of the extended universe, and as far as I've been concerned for the last... 30 years of my life Boba Fett died in the Sarlacc pit so this is all a bit new and weird and unnecessary to me but um, (laughs) look I I do agree though that that is never where it's going and look at the end of the day it's less about whether he does or doesn't turn up but about if he does do they have a cool idea to make it work and if they do well that's that's what matters so gentlemen we've spoken about the Mandalorian for a bit longer than we had planned to but I suspect that's just a reflection of our enjoyment and our enthusiasm of the show. Listeners, if you've enjoyed it as well, please do drop us a line, tweet us, send us a message, and we'll be happy to mention those on another future show. But hopefully you're enjoying this as well, and we'll be back to talk about more. In the meantime, the main thing on our feed is, of course, our hot take reviews of Doctor Who Series 12. Um, Wow, it's come a long way since 2005, hasn't it? We have, (laughs) at the time of recording this, dropped Episode 1, and and Rob and I will be recording our hot take review of Episode 2 tomorrow afternoon. But thank you, gentlemen, for chatting about this. In my view, it's kind of always fun when you're going to be having a conversation about something you enjoy anyway, to basically just turn the mic on and go, let's just record this and share it. And I think that's what we've tried to do here. But I'm sure we'll have future conversations. We sure will. I'm up for them. So in the meantime, I've been Dave. I've been Rob. I'm Richard. And we'll all speak again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. 
Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin MacLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.